Welcome to the Make Music Income Podcast with Stephen Bedall of the Production Music Academy and me, Eric Copeland of Make Music Income. In this podcast, we'll talk about our experiences in music licensing as music artists with online channels, our publishing and royalty incomes, and our combined over 40 years experience as music producers for hire. So let's get started with today's episode. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode number 29 of the Make Music Income podcast. As always, I am Stevie B. Uh, I'm joined here with Eric Copeland of MakeMusicIncome.com. This episode is brought to you by ProductionMusicAcademy.com. And today we are going to field some questions just like we did on last week's episode, except for uh, this time around, it's going to be... kind of focused on production but we do have a few like licensing questions actually to uh to take a look at as well um so we're gonna get into all that but before we do eric what has been going on this last week how are you i am good i am really good i have actually made music this week and i had an interesting thing kind of happen with motion array where i had made a um uh, a, a patriotic song over the past week or two. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a jangly piano, Yankee Doodle Dandy thing, you know, for, for Fourth of July and stuff. And so I had put it just a few days ago into the queue to get in. And I knew it was gonna take like 12 days. And I was a little nervous about it because I was like, 12 days, that's gonna be like in the June 20 some, June 26 or so, you know, before it got in the library, if it got accepted. And so, I happened to look yesterday afternoon and they were looking for patriotic music for briefs on there. It's complete now. And and I, I, if I'd waited another day, I would have missed it, but I saw that. So I went in and canceled the one that I had, the mm-hmm. one that I was submitting and I submitted instead to that specific thing. Oh, perfect. Instead of waiting for 12 days, <laughs> you skipped the line. They, they, <laughs> they accepted it and boom, I was in this morning. So, or That's yesterday awesome. actually. So yeah, that is always a great thing if you can, if you can do that and that I was able to do that. So that was cool. I wrote another song this morning. Um, uh, another, not a song. I did another, uh, patriotic arrangement of, um, stars and stripes forever. Oh, I nice. did, I did a kind of jazzy, uh, jazz trio version of that and knock that out and that's ready to go up. And so that will be, uh, I'll be putting that up this, this, uh, probably tomorrow. Is that kind of like a, like a full orchestral sort of arrangement or is that like no, more, more of a piano piece? No, it's totally or? jazz trio, upright bass, oh, piano and, and drums. Um, I, I just, I love that, that instrumentation. I, I, I think it's so open and free, easy to mix. And this um, is MIDI though, like a MIDI jazz mm-hmm. drums kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But you probably wouldn't know it. As a matter of fact, I even did a count. The drummer does a count off one. Oh yeah. Two. Where's, boom, what's that boom, from? Boom. Is that from swing? <laughs> it's from me. What's that? The, the library that you're using for drums. Uh, no, the library I'm using is Easy Drummer, the oh, Jazz drum. drum Set, and okay. the Nashville Drum Set. Both have brush, nice brush sets. And so between yeah. those two, also Logic has a really nice brush set oh, that yeah. you can use, uh, and, and it has a lot of brush things. I didn't use it for this one. But um, I tend to keep these pretty simple. You know, it's an upright bass. He does what the upright bass does. The pianist does what the pianist does. And the drum drummer is playing uh, light cymbals and, and snare and a, a hat, a kind of a, it's, it's, yeah. 
It's kind of a hat close. And, um, yeah, it, it uh, worked out really. It came just right out. But it's been in my head for a few days. I've been just walking around singing it. So uh, it was one of those things when you have that in your head, sometimes it's easy to sit down and just knock it out because you've been, like, singing it in your head for a few days, you know. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's that's been – that's been in there, so I got that. That's that's been some actual song creation, which is a which is a plus. Cool. Um, I'm getting a lot of vocals back for uh, the country songs I'm working on, so I'm I'm finishing those up. Uh, I just wrote a song with my uncle, and I actually sat down at the piano and wrote it a few days ago, and now I just have to make a demo to show him, or at least start the the track. So in some production, uh, actually, and then uh, making a video. About uh, about music libraries, uh, about where to find music libraries, and so that video I just shot that this morning. I also had an interview yesterday with um, Anthony Clint Jr. of Clint Music, and that's going to be coming out next week. And so some good videos coming out. So apparently I'm getting a lot done somehow. Uh, that's which is always Very good to actually get being industrious and getting things done is a good thing. <laughs> That's our new keyword. It really is. Our we, should, we might have to change the name of the podcast to <laughs> the in, the industrious music and in, be music industrious or something like that. I don't know. It's too hard. It's too hard to say. How about you? What's been up? Um, <clears throat> I've had a good week too, man. Yeah, lots of writing as well. I've been writing um, some some folk music, like I think I mentioned that last week, and uh, I'm recording vocals for it tomorrow. Um, I have my friend Missy uh, that's going to help me out with that. Uh, and uh, be writing a lot of ambient uh, sort of cinematic music. Um, so yeah, I kind of have like two projects going on at the same time, uh, which are very different from each other, but uh, having a ton of fun with it. Um, today, I'm going to try to claim my YouTube artist profile. I know that we talked about this like ages ago, and I still have yet to do it. Um, I'll probably have to pick your brain on that maybe after uh, the podcast is over. So I'm doing it properly, but um, I'm going to try to, yeah, get that going. Uh, separate from the Production Music Academy YouTube site and try to, I don't know, upload some content there, see see what happens. And it's just going to be sort of like an artistic exploration, same way that you have like different YouTube channels like Hello Composers and stuff. Uh, just be kind of a, a, you know, a side project from the Academy uh, YouTube channel. So got that on the plate for today. Um, I got some money from Pond5 and I guess it's from their... Uh, the, you know, being part of their subscription plan or whatever. It wasn't much. It was like 30 bucks, but I was like, oh, cool. I don't think I got any subscription money this month. Um, I got a payment from them, but it was from sales uh, on them, about oh, that much it? from sales um, that yeah. they built up. I got a Polar Bear like a little while ago, but it was, uh, um, yeah, this was out of nowhere. And I thought that they set the threshold at 50 bucks, so I was a little bit surprised. No, they're like 25 a- Oh, it's twenty five. Okay, yeah. Uh, Audio Jungle is is fifty, but uh, right. Pond Five is, and uh, Motion Array is fifty, I think as well. And right. so, um, but yeah, Pond Five is only twenty five. Right. I guess they had to lower it because uh, there's not a lot of money going. <laughs> They're not paying enough. <laughs> yeah. um, I got a little portable music setup going on now, uh, which is kind of fun. I bought it like a little Novation uh, mini um, a keyboard uh, controller, so. Um, I figured maybe do a little bit of producing outside on my patio next to the barbecue uh, and just kind of try to get away from this desk every now and then. So you can kind of sit there and play something and then flip a burger? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to fire up the barbecue and write beats at the same time. It's going to be fun. That's my summer plan. That's my plan for the summer. Um, It works. Sounds good to me. uh, Yeah, and then... yeah. 
wedding season's coming up here so i got a bunch of gigs on the books that are going to happen in the next uh next few months and i'm a little bit underprepared um i gotta learn some new material uh and yeah that all starts in like two weeks uh not this coming weekend but the next one um so uh yeah excited to to get back into playing uh, some live music and and getting yeah. out of town which will be fun um, and I'll talk more about that, I guess. Uh, I've yeah. actually been itching to play a little bit live. I don't have no idea when I would do it, mm. having a night job pretty much now. But I kind yeah. of would love to play some jazz <clears throat> um, with my with my partner. I have an upright bass uh, partner yeah. here in town, and we've uh, we've we've worked up a catalog over the years um, that we can sit and do anytime. But uh, would That's love cool. to have more, have some time to do that. It's just there's just it's not in the it's not in the schedule right now. I mean, I would have to do work on the weekends and I'm kind of kind of keep the weekends free right now. There must be some like lounge bars or something out uh, out near Disney World or something like that where you could play some like day gigs. Yeah, maybe. Uh there's gigs all around town that need jazz and stuff like that. There are a few Disney places that actually do use jazz, but um yeah. uh, Oh, you're talking about day gigs. Yeah, maybe, but maybe. I have enough to do during the day that I need to really focus <laughs> on composing and, and, and getting those compositions out because there's, there's, that's really, that's really what I want to do. I mean, uh, yeah. the jazz thing is, you know, I would play one gig, I'd be like, okay, that's enough. But, um, it is, it is, you, you do miss that, that interaction of whatever you're going to play is played once and that's it. You yeah. know, it's yeah. not like recording where we record it and we mess with it, and mess with it, we get it just perfect. I did that jazz thing this morning, and I could go through the piano and fix every note and add new notes and fix, you know, and add and thicken the chords and stuff like that. Totally. Can't do that when you're playing live. You you get one chance, you whatever one comes chance. out comes out. You mess up, you you keep going and pretend <laughs> that nothing happened. Usually, no one notices this unless it's Nobody. unless it's really bad. <laughs> they're not they're not looking at you. <laughs> All right, so getting to some questions here. Again, we're uh, we're fielding some questions here like we did last episode. Um, but uh, this one was supposed to be a, like kind of production related. And I, I put a little, you know, question out to the Academy and to the Discord um, and my YouTube um, that we're looking to, like, yeah, you could ask us anything basically production related. But, and we do have some production questions here, but also some questions about like gear, um, about uh, music licensing, sync licensing, that kind of stuff. Um, so we're just going to do it all um, and get to as much as we can here. Hopefully we can cover everything. So we have a, a question from Brendan, who's a member of the Academy, uh, asking about external hard drives. What do you guys like using? Do you have a hmm. do you have a brand or anything that uh, you like? Not really. What, I mean, whatever SSD I can find that is um, that is economical you know um i've i've been known to buy walmart ssd drives before just for uh and, and i mean pure ssd drives the actual ssd drive not an ssd drive in a box that's meant for backup right i think this is something that um that two things can sometimes can happen is people will just go and buy any backup drive to use and they're not buying uh, actual drives to record on their drive and, and to read and write from fast, which is basically what I need. Now I have um, a, another f some old firewire setups that I can uh, back up to, and I use those for backup. But when I'm when we're talking about USB C 
fastest drives possible to mm. be doing to be writing audio back and forth to. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting ready to buy another drive, a third drive, that is going to be uh, SSD just for instruments, like a, just a gig or two gig drive that's just going to hold the all the Spectrosonic yeah. stuff, sample libraries, native instruments, all that stuff. Yeah. And then I have two other drives. One is my drive that is just my music and my projects. And then is the other one is a, uh, another drive that has um, client stuff on it and anything else. And yeah. then trying to keep my computer as light as possible because at some point I'm going to be upgrading to an M1 uh, here in the next few months. And uh, I probably won't get a one terabyte drive on it. It's going to probably be a f- at l- at probably highest of five uh, terabyte or five gigabyte drive on it. So uh, five hundred gigabyte drive on it, five twelve. It's so they're so weird how they're so stingy on the Macs with their drives. But I think the important thing to relate here to this question is that I want to make sure that I have external SSD drives. And I buy enclosures for them that um, that I plug them into. So you're, you're, right. I think I'm getting the best speed possible. How about you? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I got a bunch of um, hard drives kicking around here, and I'm, I'm tired. I actually haven't had that terrible luck with the hard drives uh, breaking down, but the, they do. They have before, and um, I figured, you know, uh, it's not worth cheaping out on. So I've I've got this um, this uh, this Lissy Lacy. I don't know how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Um, two terabytes uh, drive here, which has that kind of like shock resistant sort of casing, uh, you know, very fast. It's like two, 250 bucks or something like that. I can't remember how much yeah. I paid for it, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pay the premium <clears throat> on the hard drives just cause like, uh, uh, yeah, you know, I don't want it to, to break down. And I'm, I'm the same way I have, um, I have hard drives that are, are dedicated to the sample libraries and keeping all my uh, samples on them. And then others that are just backups for uh for 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 a lot of different things for video content for um just important uh stuff whatever um i'm actually starting to back uh, to put a lot of the the important stuff onto my google drive i pay for extra space on google drive so um i'm trying to back things up to the cloud more often <clears throat> so i don't know i feel safer with my things being on the cloud than i do on uh, hard drives these days but yeah hmm. dedicated sample library um hard drive right here um we have a question from our friend Alex B. Alex B. <clears throat> Excuse me. Alex says, I still struggle a lot with quality control and confidence about the music I write and produce. I know it's complex, but here it goes. When do you know for sure that you have finished a track and how can you tell that it's licensable? It's kind of a tricky question to answer. Um, for me, it's kind of like a gut feeling. You know, There's definitely a, a sense when I'm writing a track that I could go really far down the rabbit hole with in terms of just keep keep adding things, keep tweaking things. You know, um, there's a perfectionist side of me that uh, finds it difficult to know when to call it call it quits. Um, I'm getting much better at it, at it these days. Actually, I've I've improved a lot on that on that front. Um, it used to take me a long time to finish tracks just for that very reason. Is uh, you know I have this sort of perfectionist mindset about it, and I wouldn't be able to let go. Um, and now I don't know. It's like if I've spent more than a few days on it, then I know then I'm I'm in I'm probably in not in the like I've probably gone too far uh, with it. And you know I I think it's like yeah I, I let it go if it's like taken more than two days to of of my time uh, to work on it. Not not two whole days, but like say I've say I've spent like a couple of hours each day 
or a few hours each day working on it. I don't know, five or six hours on a track, um, depending on the genre. I know that it's like, okay, it's not going to get any better. I'm just getting crazier uh, and I'm <laughs> probably overthinking it. So it's time to let it go regardless of whether uh, I think it's finished or not. So I think my thinking on this is in two directions. Number one, um, let's just take, if I'm writing for sync, um, and producing for sync, that's going to be a much bigger production with much more, uh, moving parts. There's going to, there could be players involved. There could be sequencing involved, vocals involved, all that kind of stuff. That's going to be way more produced than, than stock stuff for me. So I'm going to, I'm going to probably spend way more time, just like this country album I've got going on. There's it's, it's, it's got so many moving parts and so many people involved in, in a cast of thousands. Yeah. And so there's, there's a lot to that. Now, still, once I get all those pieces in and I feel, and I listen to that and I go, am I sure this doesn't need, in this case, on the country album, do I need steel guitar in this to finish this song and add that final little bing cherry on the top, you know? Um, or do I need fiddle or do I need banjo or do I need something? And some of that stuff is already in the, these songs. But um, that might be wh where where I get to the very end going, okay. But once I get there and I know I have all the instruments in and I listen, like I said, like you say, it's a gut feeling, go, yep, I think we're done now. Let's make sure the mix is done. Mm -hmm. And the mix is a different decision. It's not just do I have enough instruments in. It's is the mix right. And that can be some going back and forth. If I'm mixing it, oh, if yeah. I've got an engineer mixing it, trying to get happy with that and just say. And there's a time when you finally go, vocal sounds right track sounds right i'm all good let's make the finals now on the stock side of things to me there's there's an easy there's easy songs and not easy songs the song i did this morning that is ready i'm gonna ready i'm just gonna i i got it i started it at about 9 30 this morning and i finished it at about 11 30 and so two hours but it's just a jazz trio i i I had been hearing it in my head for a few days, this, this uh, arrangement of a patriotic song. And, I, and so I sat down and just played through the piano and just banged it out to a point where I thought it was close. And then I went in and edited it. <clears throat> and then I do, I traditionally will do the drummer part and I did the drums and I edited those. And then I did the acoustic bass for jazz and I edited that and got it all ready. And at that point, I knew this was going to be a jazz trio. A jazz trio has three things. That's why they call it a trio. So I don't feel pressure to add pads and strings and all that kind of stuff. I could, but because I knew I was going for an authentic jazz trio sound, I didn't have to worry about it. I didn't have to, I could stop and mix at that point because I had all the instrumentation in. The same goes with solo piano. That's super easy. Or if Dan Barracuda is doing two, you know, a guitar piece and he does a, the uh, the first guitar and then he does the solo part over, he's done. He knows yeah. he knows his process. And and to me, if you're doing something that's that that minimal, then that's easy. Yeah, the, the you're hard kind part of working with preset limitations makes yeah. it a bit uh, easier to know when to to say to call it quits, right? Because right, yeah. or if you're doing solo guitar or solo piano, well. You know, once you get the performance down on the piano, <laughs> that's you're, it. You're kind of done. 
Yeah. Now, where it gets tricky is when you get into ear candy type music, where you where you could continue adding ear candy and adding and adding and adding. Yeah. I'm probably less a perfectionist in that area than some people, including yourself. I think uh, I'm going to do less on the continually adding more and more and more. I'll add to the point where I feel like, as I tell students and people, that something different is happening. Uh, um, enough. In other words, every four bars, something is happening. I tell people, if you get bored with your song at a certain point, think how other people are going to feel. <laughs> so make sure that new things are happening all the time and ear candy is coming in and, and breaks are happening and, and, and slow down, um, uh, breakdowns and things like that are happening and proper builds are happening back up. But I probably will do less track count than most people just because that's my style. And mm-hmm. I'll do enough, not to get by, but just because I, I just, I don't feel like I need to stack so much in there. Uh, I'll, but yeah, it's still a gut feeling though. When you're at the end, you're going, okay, I think that's enough. I, I think, can't think, I think of it's anything a gut, else. Yeah, it's a gut thing. It's a gut call. Um, and the, the, I just think that there's a certain point we you reach, at least there's a certain point that I reach, especially with all the ear candy music, you know, where there's tons of layers, where it's mm-hmm. not really getting any better. It's just getting. Yeah. It's just kind of shuffling things around. It's just more. And you may you may be at that point and be like, oh, well, I don't really like this track. Well, just just call it a day and, and, and move on to the it. next one because yeah. uh, what else are you going to do? Really, you're just going to drive yourself crazy. So just um, make you know go through your checklist. Are are drums good? Yeah. Is the bass there? Is is the is the chords right? Do I have proper? Uh, you know. Um, uh, buildups and and risers and different things that for this that fit this particular style are, uh, is everything in this that should be in it, mm-hmm. and then if you get to that point, you're like everything's in it, and I mean you have to like it. I've got a few songs right now that are in that. I'm not sure if I like them mode right now, and mm-hmm. we'll see if I get back to them and fix them. If not, I'm moving on to the things I know I need to get done, like patriotic stuff right now, where I'm trying to get that out for this and patriotic, as I've talked about before. Um, I, I use the holiday to force me to create those things, but they're the gift that keeps on giving every year and every, especially holiday music, which has a life about three or four times a year for different things in, in the right. U.S. especially. So, um, and, and Christmas really is just at Christmas, and Easter is just Easter, and Halloween is just Halloween, but uh, patriotic music really uh, can be used all the time time and especially on three or four american holidays so um so i just i leave behind the things that aren't ready and i move on and i think that's the other problem people have they're so precious with the thing they're working on right now they can't imagine just stopping it and moving on to something else and so it's not just precious about you not wanting to give your music up it's precious about not moving on to the next song um i had a guy talked to me, uh, I think I told you this, maybe I told you this last time, where he's, uh, he said, I have, um, oh no, we have, I don't think we've talked about this. This was a guy who said, I have a question. My uh, job wants me to create um, songs for $150 for them. And I'm not sure if that's enough for me to create them for them and then them own them. And I'm, so it'd be like a work for hire type of thing. And I said, really? I said, how many songs? He said, 30 and i said Damn. dude that's forty five hundred dollars that you will get in your pocket 
and for 30 songs. There's more songs you can write. So move. don't be so precious. Take the 4,500 bucks, make the 30 songs, and then write more songs. You know, and, and so th- this, but getting back to the question about when do you know music production is done, it's the same thing. When you get to a point that you've got everything in it and you're still not happy, might be time to move on to the next thing for a while and come back, you know. Fair enough. Fresh ears can help a lot sometimes. I got a question here from uh, Multi Music Man. This is a, a YouTube question. Um, he's got a few questions here. Uh, well, I think I'm going to address this. He's three questions. What makes a music? What makes a professional music production? Well, I think I don't know any any. As long as someone's paying for it, then I guess it's professional. <laughs> I don't know. Would you would you say? Or that does he mean? Does he mean what the, what makes a music production sound professional? Yeah, I could have meant that. It wasn't specific. That's very subjective and, yeah. and uh, yeah, hard yeah. to answer, I think. It's a hard, a hard question to answer. Which DAW do you use? Uh, we use Logic. We both use Logic. Um, and what are the three plugins you never want to miss? <clears throat> That's a good question. Mm. Um, for me, I think my maybe Ozone Mastering Suite, uh, my SSL Bus Compressor, and uh, my Good Hertz plugins are probably my like treasure or um, my... Uh, what do you call it? Uh, precious. My precious. My precious. I was gonna say my. Uh, what do you call? It? What do you? What do you say when you're like you're stuck on an island? Uh, like the three plugins. Your desert island plugins. Yeah, yeah, sorry, that's what I'm looking for my desert. My desert island plugins. What about you? Um, well, those are processing plugins. So I'll tell. I'll tell you what my desert island pl- processing plugins are. Uh, it would be Waves Limited Multiband Compressor, uh-huh. Waves Ultra Maximizer, which is basically what I use instead of Ozone. Right. But my third one would probably be Ozone. Um, yeah, I would sweet. love to have more. I would love to have the full Ozone, and that's something I will upgrade to sometime. Now, as far as uh, when I think of plugins, the first thing I think of is instruments. So for me, it would be all things Spectrosonic. That that is yeah. talk about Desert Island, uh, Keyscape, Omnisphere, Trillion, and Stylus. I cannot make music without those. Right. I mean, I can, but I'd rather <clears throat> yeah. not. Um, and then uh, uh, all the complete stuff, Native Instruments, and all the Spitfire stuff. I think if you, uh, I can't think of anything else that that is really. Uh, something that I use all the time. That's not one of those things, other than Logic instruments. But uh, those aren't totally. plugins. Those are those are part of Logic. How about yeah, you? There's so many. It's kind of hard to to to, to uh, yeah to get them down to three. Yeah, um, I cheated and used families. So <laughs> Spectrosonics, yeah, complete, right. uh, Native Instruments, and Spitfire. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, another question you have, which uh, I think is a good one too, is how much time do you need on average for a two to three minute production? Um, he also added, is there collaboration? Uh, if so, who do you work with? Well, you could speak to collaboration a lot more than I can. Um, I, although I've been doing a few, I'm working on a, a couple of collaborations at the moment, but um, I'll just say, you know, on an average, on average, how much time do I need for a two to three minute production? So I guess it really depends on the genre, but um, I don't know. Let's say an average, if we average out all the different types of music I write, probably five five hours or so five solid hours from from first idea to finish master today it was two hours um because i had the arrangement in my head already um and i was doing um uh three instruments so it 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 really did not take too long to make that arrangement and 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 put it together 
Um, I would say on uh, on the other end of the spectrum, some of these country songs are taking months and months and months, right. but only because so many people. Um, there's so many people. There's tracking people involved. There's a, a vocalist involved who have get COVID and then they can't sing and they have to wait till that's over and then, then their schedule gets busy. They go on the road for two months or something like that. So, gosh, <laughs> things can stretch out for months with with songs like that. It's kind of but ironic I'm, that the, the collaborative stuff can really can end up taking uh, a lot longer than what you're working on solo, right? Because you think it you feel could. Like, yeah, it but could or it couldn't go either way, right? If I was in Nashville and in and, and a studio and working on one song in a day and I cut track the tracked it in the morning and cut the vocal and mixed it in the afternoon, it could take one day, you know, right. for the entire thing. So um, but I would say average for me on a on a production that I'm doing here for stock music or something that I'm doing where I'm doing most of the production and there's no other collaboration involved, probably three three to four, um, maybe less average, because I so many things I do are like the trio things or the solo piano, which can take 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, Once yeah. you get it played and you edit it, it could be a half hour uh, is all that it takes to do something like that. So. Totally, it's, it's hard to average it out, right? Because it's like some of the orchestral and cinematic tracks that I, oh. I do will take a long time just because yep. there's so, so many moving parts and then the lo-fi hip hop tracks can, can get done in a couple of hours. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's hard to say, but I would say if I had to average it out, probably like five to six hours per track, uh, just because I, I work on a lot of stuff that's not lo-fi hip hop, like, you know, the, these folk tracks I'm working on, even though they're quite simple, it takes a lot of work to get like the vocal, right. I got to write the lyrics. I'm counting all those things too. I mean, it mm -hmm. takes time to do all that stuff. So, um, Let's move on here. We got uh, a question from John. This is something uh, that he asked. Uh, he's a member of the uh, Production Music Academy, and I actually um, was inspired to do a video about this. So I, I, I did a little video in the Academy, but I'll just cover this topic quickly because it's one that I get a lot. Um, hi, Steve. Was wondering if you have any advice for recording slash mixing low frequency slash bass instruments. This is an area I think we all struggle in uh, with home studios. Uh, this may be something that you could also look more into detail with the Academy. Um, I like the bass sound that you have on some of your lo-fi tracks. Uh, and I'm in brackets, I guess you, I'm guessing you play the bass on these. Yes, I, I always play the bass um, for, for my lo-fi stuff and a lot of my like indie and like rock tracks too. Um, and uh, yeah, so Getting the bass to sit right in the mix is a uh, is a real tricky thing, and I think you know if you if you Google the, or if you punch that into YouTube search, you get a ton of like different videos and opinions about it. Um, I think that just to quickly cover this, I think the one thing that that's really kind of helped me with this is just carving out um, some of the uh, of the frequencies that are like are the usual suspects in terms of offending. Um, usual offenders in terms of getting in the way of the bass speaking through the mix and a, a lot of times I'll have like uh, you know a lot of synth patches uh, I'll be importing uh, percussive loops or one shots from splice um, and these will slowly but surely start taking up too much space too much space in the in the low mid range to to the uh, and even some of the sometimes the sub frequency so what I'll often do is um, is I'll do some group processing on on these types of things, and I'll start cutting uh, pretty aggressively, you know, uh, at around like 50 uh, like hertz below, getting rid of those sub frequencies that start to add up, and also managing the uh, the low mid range so that when I play my bass, 
um, it's able to just kind of speak and 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 find its clarity in the mix um, without fighting all of these other elements that that slowly but surely kind of just build up and mask those like really important you know low mid range bass frequencies. So um, that that's that's what I do, and, and I think that it probably came to a somewhat of a surprise to for some of the members to see that I hardly do any processing on my bass guitar. I, 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 I put it through a bit of compression and that's it. Um, you know, that's totally it. I don't even EQ it most of the time. Um, I play my bass for the lo-fi tracks that, that I do. I, I play my bass with like a, uh, like a palm muted style and I, and I pluck it with my thumb and it gets this really kind of punchy, these, these really nice kind of punchy transients um, that sound really beefy and subby. Um, and that's just the, that's just sort of the style that I roll. I, I have used some um, some bass VSTs, and maybe you could talk about that too, because I know that you use I think it's Trillion, right? Is that that that's the mm-hmm. the, uh, the bass library that you use? Yeah, I would say Trillion um, or or some kind of Native Instruments uh, synth bass or something like that will be probably the basses I use most likely. Yeah, uh, upright bass and then other kinds of electric bass. And then synth basses would be the the main basses I use. And mm-hmm. and I here's the thing to remember about those sounds. And a lot of people like they they feel like they're so forced into using compression and all this stuff and 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 EQing all these sounds and stuff. But you have to remember that most of these sounds are pretty EQed and compressed before when they're recorded and when they're made. So th- they don't personally require a lot of a lot of stuff you know a lot of a lot of processing to them because they're synth sounds they've been processed already but um i think you're onto something in the fact that um i think that eq is a a a forgotten part of mixing you could you could basically mix your entire mix with no volume gaining at all a lot of times just by using EQ if you wanted to, by accenting each instrument and putting it in its place. Similar to the way we put everything in the stereo spectrum, you can put everything in the EQ spectrum where where it should fit. And, and, and But a big part of that is synthesizers and uh, guitars and stuff that have just a lot of low end that you don't need for that sound can be taken out to totally. leave room for your bass, <clears throat> and you've been, you've just mentioned that kind of, yeah. Um, just you making clear some sure space for the bass. Yeah, just let make sure it's got its spot. Now I have, you know, there in kick and in bass uh, processing EQ wise, there are some frequencies you can you can take out the super lows and then and then you you kind of bump the you know the low end. I I don't know hertz wise where, but. Uh, depends, and then right after you do that, you kind of dip under a little bit. So there's some traditional EQ things you can do on almost every bass or kick sound that, that a lot of engineers use. But I find that a lot of times I don't have to do any of that because the sound itself is okay. It's it's usually not the bass sound that's the problem. It's it's the other sounds that are messing, that are in its space. Oftentimes, I, I think that's, that's absolutely true. Um, yeah. And then again, you know, coming back to the bass sound itself, you know, like the tone is very... Uh, I mean, it's very important as well. Uh, you want to be choosing the right tones and the right uh, vibe for your track. <clears throat> Again, also, you know, I think, I mean, this, this what we just chatted about, I think is, is going to make sense to people who are producing, you know, in small home uh, studios like, like I am. Um, 
it i you know i have to also say of course it's important to have like good quality headphones i think um that are going to give you a pretty good representation of the, of the of the spectrum um it's important to like you know have i if you if you want to acoustically treating your room to some extent is going to is going to help if you're if you know with monitoring like you have and you got some tr um some sound uh stuff on your walls um and yeah i don't know i think like using a, sure. using a plugins like there's a free plugin called span which I, I talk about a lot you see that a lot on these uh you know youtube tutorials like uh that you can actually kind of visually see like what the distribution is um in in the spectrum uh and that that's helpful too so also if you're if you're in a in a rectangular room and you're mixing you got to watch out for the corners of your room and if you're mixing on speakers and you're hearing too much bass you could have all sorts of bass reflections going on in your room that that are messing you up or if you've got a sub a lot of people mix with subs and yeah. subs are really cool to mix with but they don't always translate to people's earbuds and so uh i don't use i've never used a sub to mix with and I, because I think that's a little artificial base that you're generating there, and so um, I, I think that can be a, a something to be careful with too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and certain headphones can really exaggerate the base too, uh, or underrepresent it. It it, mm -hmm. it depends. But uh, you got to know your monitoring systems, and then you got to yeah, go test it in other places. Test it in your exactly. car. Test it in your on your speakers. <clears throat> test in your headphones. This morning when I was creating that whole piece. Um, I created it all in headphones yeah. until I mixed. And then when I mixed, I mixed on speakers just to make sure that I wasn't missing anything, you know, and, and hearing a, a, a good spread. And, and it was a little different in speakers. Sometimes I go back and forth and I'll listen in both to make sure. But again, with the Jazz Trio, the beauty about that particular setup is that they all sit in their own place. No, nobody gets in anybody's way. Mm -hmm. And so there's not a lot of mixing to be done, really, unless the bass takes a solo, and I want to bring that up and the piano down, but that's about right. all I did mixing-wise. So, and, and compression can help on bass. A lot of times when I get uh, bass back from uh, Nashville or something, it, compression just just helps keep it under control a little bit. And uh, as we all know with compression, it, it protects us against too much highs and too much lows, mostly in, in, in volume and stuff, but it, it does control things a little bit better. Not necessarily in EQ, but if you have, I also, also I use a, a limited band multi-compressor, uh, multi-band compressor at, at, the, at the end of my mixes. Mm -hmm. So that goes in and tells me if I've got too much or too little bass signal going on and, and kind of evens it out a little bit too. So that, that helps. And if you, an ozone and stuff like that can help at the end to control that as well. Yeah, totally. Great, okay, well, we got a couple more questions. Uh, we have one from, I believe this is from Mauricio, uh, also from the Academy here. Uh, great question, a little bit less production related and more um, licensing related. So uh, he says, Steve and Eric, I'm working on a rock album for exclusive libraries, uh, already have some in mind, but lately I've been thinking about submitting it to Artlist. Will this be a faster alternative to make money with this album or maybe and i just thought of this uh send the album to exclusive libraries first and if they don't accept them then send it to artlist uh he also has a follow-up question about sync and exclusive libraries apart from royalty payments how do you make money when your music is selected for a project okay let's tackle the first um question i mean i would be willing to bet <laughs> that if the the music was well here's the thing it's hard. It's it's actually difficult to say where you'd make money first. Uh, 
it's a, it's obvious. It's a quick. It's obvious to me. It's artless. Well, the I mean, art list is a problem because it's like it, they do annual payouts, right? So you could get like a placement in, a, in an exclusive library and get an upfront payment potentially before you get a payment from art list. Um, I still think that likely you'd have a better like outcome with art list if the music is a good fit for the library. Um, it, it's it's very I think it's a bit different. Here's the deal. If you put a he's talking about an album. So if you put this album up to an exclusive library, you're waiting for people to that need that music for a TV show to go find it. And they're going to be finding maybe one of the songs off the 10 song album or maybe two or maybe none. Art list is going to put them all up and they're all going to be up and they're all likely. I mean, did every song that you put up to Art list last year make a certain amount of money or make money. Oh yeah, for you? all of them got downloads. Yeah, yeah. So, and you got that. It took a year, but you or less than a year actually, because you started in like yeah. March and then you got paid in December. Right. But still, you could see that you were getting downloads and Artlist pays fairly well. And so you got again your style got got paid very well. Who knows what other styles were and if his music will be the same as yours, have the same success, all that stuff. But if you're talking about how, where would I see the most money first? Jeez, if you had found a, 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 a sync library for those songs you put up to Artlist, Steve, and you put those up to the sync library, I doubt you would have had that big payment in Dece- that much money by the in, by December. Well, put it this way. I think it's like, you. I think you're probably right. I just think that, um, in terms of where they're going to get the most action the most quickly, like it'll probably be heartless. They'll start getting downloads as soon as they go live in the library mm-hmm. uh, because there's so many users, right? Um, in the long run, you know, if we're looking at like over years, it's potent- It's possible you can make more money through like, you know, the, the placements that you're getting on TV and like and start collecting some of those PRO royalties. Although I, it like, you know, we both know it's, it's just going to take time. It's going to take a lot longer. Um, mm-hmm. So it depends whether you're kind of in it for the long game, uh, you know, years kind of thing, or whether you want to start getting action on these tracks right away. And I think with Artless, like you said, it's just, it's going to get start. It's going to start getting downloaded immediately. Yeah. Um, so and the if exposure it's the right is a lot music bigger. at the right time, like yours was for for their audience, then I think uh, likely as far as seeing bigger dollars sooner. You will see it there. I I think it's such it's just such a very very long game is, with yeah. the sync world. And uh, you know I I have I, the other day I had a conversation with a, a guy in the sync world, and we both talked about where we were in the sync licensing process. And he is towards not towards the end where, but he is making comfortable money. He's not where he wants to be, but he is making considerable income from it. Right. Mm-hmm. Same as Jesse, you know, has that continual income because he's been in it for a decade, you know. Um, I am in a place where I've produced stuff that's been accepted to libraries and it's now starting to get into things and and I've seen my first few pennies, but it's going to be another year until I have hundreds and hundreds of songs in these libraries mm-hmm. and and that and those BMI payments really expand. And so that's where I am. And then there's people who are at the very beginning and saying, I'm still trying to make music to get in those sync libraries. So if you think uh, I'm a year or two in now, two years in to being in libraries and I haven't seen anything yeah. income wise. So 
if I if I had gone the Artlist route and Artlist had accepted those whatever songs, and they'd gone in, then I would have already been paid by now, maybe a good amount. If and again, if those songs were songs that worked well for Artlist clients, so I I think the answer is Artlist would probably be faster. Just like would it be faster to get money from uh, sync licensing or Pond5? Well, it's going to be Pond5 because even if you get one download, you've made more than you would in sync licensing in that month. So, um, yeah, there's, it's, it's, I mean, it's almost, uh, yeah, there's no other way around Smaller it. money gonna, sooner or bigger money later, which one do you want? Or bigger money, money sooner if it's the right <laughs> fit. Maybe. So, yeah, yeah. I think Because I only, also made, almost made 30 grand on a tune that was one of my, my, my sync tunes right. last year. It was just a deal that didn't happen, but it was so close to a 30 grand deal. Now I'd be telling a different story right now if, uh, <laughs> if that had happened. Yeah. So... You know, yeah. Well, I think you know. It's like I, I, I was actually going to do a video about this for YouTube, but yeah, like the the debate about whether to to take one route over the other in terms of production TV libraries or royalty free libraries is really like. I mean, I don't know if one is better than the other. I just think that um, if you are industrious enough and if you're putting out enough music, you should be doing. You should be concentrating on both because each have their unique set of uh, of, of pros and cons and opportunities and. Um, but I think that it's unquestionable that yeah, you're going to make money uh, quicker with the royalty-free market. Um, so that being said, um, Mauricio, I'm, I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure about your, your album, but yeah, keep those thoughts in mind. And uh, I'm sure that uh, you'll make the right decision, man. Um, I've heard some of Mauricio's music uh, lately, and it's, and it's amazing. So uh, I'm sure it'll do well. Is that Mark Mess or is that someone else? No, that's someone different. Okay. different because um, he's Marcio I believe yeah um, what was the second part of that question oh yeah apart uh, from royalty those... payments how do you make money when your music is selected for a project well you make upfront sync oh. fees um, which typically a library like a production TV library will, will split that fee uh, with you I think mo most of the time um, mm -hmm. so aside um, from royalties uh, royalty yeah payments, well the up it's the upfront and an upfront can be also what the project I was talking about last year that almost was like a $30,000 payout was a company that wanted to use a song and they wanted to license it mm -hmm. and they wanted to exclusively license it. Right. And so that was kind of a one-off deal where they were going to pay 30000 upfront and then they would basically own the song exclusively to use however they wanted to do. Um, a company may come to you and say, we want to, just like the fellow I was talking about that said, we, we're going to give you $150 per song for 30 songs and it's 4500 bucks but we're going to own them afterwards and it may or may not be exclusive uh, it could be non-exclusive but still um, you know you're we're going to buy them out from you it's a buyout deal a work for hire deal and so those could be totally money up front and when i say up front i don't mean up front before you make the music it might be up front after you've made and delivered the music it could be either way and you've had jobs like that before too yes yeah you know um, and those don't those don't have any back end. Some of them, you know, yeah, not no, for totally. you, some for them, them maybe. Some of them are buyouts, and that's the end of the story. It's all a little bit. It's all yeah. Everything's a little bit different. Uh, I got one more question here, um, and yeah, it's from Michael in the Academy. Assuming that you were getting plays on or purchases with a queue from both a royalty library versus a royalty free library, what is be what has been your experience on which one pays better? This is kind of tied into what we were just talking about but um have you found that the continued payouts on royalty music 
outweigh the higher single pays from royalty-free music. Michael, I'm not sure if what you're referring to by royalty, like non-royalty. So you mean language, exclusive versus think, non-exclusive? I think he's I think he's referring to like TV and production libraries versus royalty-free libraries. I could be wrong about that, Mike. You can let me know. Uh, but assuming that's what you're you're talking about, I only really have. Um, like I can only really speak to my experience with royalty-free libraries, and I think that, like as we were just discussing, it's uh, you know my experiences with them is just, it's been like quick payouts from the, the from the first month that I up, forever uploaded a track to uh, you know Audio Jungle. I was it was like two or three hundred bucks a month right up right up, right away. So um, back in the good old days, back in the good old days, yeah. Not not anymore. <laughs> uh, now it's about like. 50 to 100 bucks a month if i'm lucky on audio jungle but um we you know i've since moved on to uh, other uh, working with other libraries and my experience has always been that you know you throw the music and less than a month later you're making money for it uh which is which suits me just fine um Mm -hmm. in terms of the uh the the you know other streams of income from royalties like i have received some um some pro back end from placements um but they take a long time to to collect on uh so uh, but they can be significant too so um i don't know that's been my experience so far and i think we we already kind of covered this in our last conversation but yeah. uh but eric yeah. and you, you, I, I don't have the i don't have the data yet to know about uh my exclusive library income yet mm-hmm. um it's just it's i'm still soon. in the beginning phase yeah it's too, too soon. soon. Too soon. So, uh, so that's what else it. we got? Is that it? That is our questions for today, I believe. I hope I didn't miss anybody. If I did, I apologize. Was there one in the uh, from the uh, the Discord? Uh, yeah, Arco, uh, our friend Arco on Discord had talked to, had asked about gain staging. Oh yeah, and that's way too much of an engineer question for me. So I'll let you field that one. Big shout out to Arco. Yeah, Arco, <laughs> what's up? Um, yeah, well, gain staging is obviously really important. I think that people have a misconception about uh, about the like about gain staging in your DAW. I mean, you have an incredible amount of headroom um, uh, in in a digital space. Uh, you almost have like unlimited. Uh, I mean, in a sort of in a in a sense, you kind of have an infinite amount of headroom. Um, with the DAW, so it's really easy to manage gain staging, um, whereas it was once much more difficult in an analog situation. Um, what can I say in so terms? So explain gain staging. I think what you see often happening with like your your stereo out uh, is that you you you're piling on these tracks, and you get to a point where you just start pushing your stereo out into the red, uh, and you're not leaving enough headroom for the amount of processing you want to do on your stereo out channel. Um, and you get, you know, some, and you, you could potentially get to a point where you're, you're getting this like digital distortions and, and really all gain staging is, is just, um, is just avoiding excessive distortion, you know, uh, and, and avoiding, like you said, just like things just being too hot. I mean, you really got to just sort of be careful about it and think about it at every instrument level. And then you can remanage it at the group level, which is, is what I do to leave enough headroom on the stereo out so that you can add some mastering processing without pushing things like way into the red. Um, so I think, you know, I mean, I think it's just very, it's it's really important to, to sort of just be mindful of it throughout the entire process. Yeah, of, that's uh, why we talk about mixing as you go. You're not yeah, you mixing mix at the exactly. end. Yeah. And uh, and you know what we do in our first 101 and 102? The students mix 
all on Pro Tools and Logic, but throughout 101 and 102, unless they know differently, they use zero limiting on the master channel. Zero. So guess what that forces them to do? Proper gain staging. They have to pull everything down because they're not allowed to turn in stuff that's distorted in the red. Mm-hmm. So they've got to they've got to do it with no limiting. They've got to make a mix that is right around zero or just a little above. So that that means they have to pull a lot of stuff down and mix it accordingly, because they're they're they don't know enough to even use limiting or ozone or something like that on their master channel. So it's a good habit to get into, man. Just yeah. Know, just, so if exactly. if you're dealing with stuff like that, take off anything on your master channel and just try to mas- try to make your your mix with just no limiting because we always use i i throw a, a, a l2 ultra maximizer on on there just to control stuff uh while i'm working you know yeah and uh but tr- if you're really having trouble with this try it with nothing on on your main master channel and and you're going to be forced to pull stuff down so it sounds good and work with real dynamic range and that might be a good test you know. I think preserving some dy- dynamic range in yeah many different styles that I <clears throat> that I work on is so important. I mean, with some of the like the corporate and electronic uh, you know tracks that I do, sometimes I'll I'll, I'll slam it pretty hard on the limiter, um, mm-hmm. and they don't really need a ton of uh, dynamic range. But yeah, especially I mean, uh, uh, most certainly with like the orchestral and cinematic stuff, I mean, you really gotta um, be careful about gain staging and making sure that uh, yeah you have some nice dyna- dynamic range there. It's just things aren't gonna sound good. Uh, if they're just slammed, you know, so it it depends sort of on the style you're working with. I think you can get away with slamming stuff, uh, with electronic music, with rock music too. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's my thoughts on it, man. Me too. Cool. Well, I think we're up against it here, man. Yeah. Uh, good, good answers to good questions. And if you've, if you're, uh, again, if you're, watching this on YouTube or you're watching or you're listening to this and you want ask questions, you can ask us questions in the comments totally. and we'll, we'll answer them more there. But, uh, this has been fun. It's been great. Yeah. Feel free to ans- uh, ask questions anytime guys. And, uh, yeah, it's been, re- it's been really fun. I hope we didn't miss anybody. Uh, but if we did, then uh, we can get to you next time. Okay. Well, everybody have a great week. Go make something great and, uh, then make some music income with it and, We'll talk to you next week. (laughs) Right on. See you guys. See you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We really appreciate it. Just a reminder to check out makemusicincome.com and productionmusicacademy.com. And you can find us both on YouTube as well. We both post regular content there. You can find me at Stevie B Production Music Academy. And Eric's channel is called Make Music Income. We'd love to see you there. Feel free to like, share, and subscribe to our content. Also, feel free to join us in the Make Music Income Discord server. Lots of great conversation going on in there, and you can share your work and connect with other like-minded folks. It's a great community. So thanks again, and we'll see you in the next episode. Take care.